And a killing, missing, hidden first. We have an update on a previous episode, thanks to some anonymous listeners who had direct information they were willing to share with us. So join us today as we revisit the murder of Tommy House. Welcome, welcome, welcome into another episode of Killing Miss and Hidden Podcast. It's like coming home to a to a cozy little living room with a fireplace going and a mug of hot cocoa just waiting for you, right? Ah, it should feel that way. As always, I'm your host, Brad, former attorney extraordinaire, now just attorney and podcast host extraordinaire. Yeah, let's go with that. I hope everybody's doing well. I'm excited because I actually got to go to my first concert this past weekend. It feels like it's literally been eons since that's happened. So I hope everybody else got to do something fun as we pull out of this COVID mess. Today we have a very special episode. It is an update episode. Our first ever. Hopefully not our last because I like learning more about the cases we cover. And if anybody out there ever ever has information that could help us, you know, tell a slightly more accurate story, bring it on. So we covered the murder of Tommy Haas back on March 30th. And this update came directly from uh, friends and other folks who were involved in some way with Tammy or the investigation. Now, all the information I've received has been provided to me under the cloak of anonymity, So I can't say where I got this information from or even where the, you know, how I got the information, anything like that. Um, That makes the attorney in me totally nervous (laughs) because I always like being able to point to a fact or a document or a website link to say, this is where we're getting this from. But sometimes we don't get that and that's okay. Uh, Just please accept this as it is. No warranties. Um, But I will say from my conversations with these folks, they seem to be pretty reliable and pretty knowledgeable, so I feel comfortable recording this episode. Now, just a quick recap to help you remember what a terrible job I did in the first time we covered this case. Tammy was a young girl from Yankton, South Dakota. She was found dead with a broken neck across the Missouri River in Nebraska, a death which apparently occurred after leaving a homecoming party not far from there. Her then-boyfriend, Eric Sturkel, was arrested and charged with manslaughter in Nebraska, but was found not guilty by the jury, apparently on the basis that the prosecution couldn't prove that Tammy's death occurred in Nebraska. If you'll recall, I ranted a whole lot about the prosecution in Nebraska and how Tammy dying from a broken neck, you know, is, is really bizarre because it takes something like a car crash level force for that to happen. But we've got a bunch of new information to go through today. And I hope it'll help kind of fill in a lot of the gaps that we had last time. And we'll kind of help folks understand this case better. Um, and I think it kind of helps explain a little bit more of the thinking of the police and the prosecution, though I saw some questions about that that we'll get to. But without uh, further ramblings, let's, uh, let's get to it, okay? 
So what new information do we have to share in this update? Well, let's bounce on through it. Now, I'm going to apologize. I'll try to present this in a logical order, but I feel like it's going to require some pinballing. And so if I feel like I'm jumping around a lot, I probably am. And that's the failure of me as a uh, podcast host more than anything. So, Tammy, last seen alive at the party around 11.15 p.m. According to the magic of forensics, the last possible time Tammy could have been alive was 12.35 a.m. From the way the blood had pooled in Tammy's body, it was apparent she was dumped in the ravine about 30 minutes after her death. And one new interesting fact we learn is that her body was only half clothed. And her pants, at least, were pulled down past her knees, maybe to her ankles. Now, the autopsy was also a whole heck of a lot more specific about Tammy's death than I found during my research. Tammy had multiple defense wounds on her hands and arms. There was also an abrasion on her lower back, right above where her waistband would be. She had a tear in her intestinal wall. Um, back near where her uh, spine would connect to or be around her intestines. And the medical examiner attributed that to a severe force to her abdomen. It'd be something like a blow from a knee or a fist or like a round post or baseball bat. And this would have been a very incapacitating blow to cause that sort of damage. We also have more information about the broken neck that I was so obsessed with. Um, it was the first vertebrae in Tammy's neck and expert testimony opined the injury occurred from significant blunt force trauma applied to the back of her skull, which in turn compressed the vertebrae. The abrasion on her back was consistent with a body being dragged across asphalt. And this was supported by flecks of yellow paint found on her jeans and it was the same sort of paint that's used to paint those lines on the road. And her bare feet were shockingly clean. So she didn't walk across the road. She didn't walk for long on her feet. But somehow she moved. Hmm. All right. Now, disgustingly, Tammy's clothing was also covered in urine of at least two different people. Now, investigators were able to match some of the urine to Eric, her boyfriend. And that was the urine that was found more on her back and the back of her underwear. Also in her underwear were found sand burrs. And these burrs matched the ones that were growing in plants located near the guardrail at the top of the ravine. Despite being in the state of undress, however, there was no signs of rape. Now, it was clear from the evidence that Tammy and Eric had had sex, but Eric had admitted to that. He had told police that they had had sex the night before and maybe the night of. So nobody was surprised when that DNA evidence, DNA evidence was there. But again, it appeared as someone tried to stage a rape scene. Now, after apparently urinating on the body, and leaving that evidence for police to work with, that's when the staging occurred. Right. Interestingly, Tommy, Tammy's watch band was broken at some point. Um, I think we've all experienced this where the little pin that holds the band to the face of the watch falls out. 
That happened here. The pin was never found. But the watch band, which couldn't have stayed on her wrist, was found on her wrist, just kind of gently laid across like it was on display. When Eric was taken to the ravine by law enforcement, he marched right up to the spot where Tammy was found dead, and that's where he stood to answer questions. Of course, the cops couldn't help but to ask him why he chose that particular spot to want to discuss this case, and he didn't really have a reason why. He just said he felt like that's where the body would have been found. Now, Eric told police that Tammy left the party with him at 1045, and they returned to his parents' house, which was only about eight miles away. Now, remember, Tammy was last seen at the party at 11.15 p.m., so Eric's stories is off a little bit already. Eric claimed that Tammy decided she wanted to walk home sometime between 12.30 and 1 a.m., Eric's sister was at the house and said that she saw Tammy leave their house around 1 a.m. Police were able to find six drivers who said they were driving down the road that Tammy had to have walked along to get home, and not a one of them remembered seeing Tammy. And Tammy, you know, was a cute girl. You would have noticed, you would have, if you were any sort of adult, you would have noticed her walking on the side of the road at this late an hour and probably been concerned, especially if you were a parent and had those instincts already driving your mind crazy. Now, if you'll recall from our original episode, Eric and Tammy had been seen arguing before they left the party. This new evidence I was provided with indicates that actually several people gave a statement to the police that they heard the fight in the area where Eric's car was parked around midnight. But no one went to investigate immediately because, you know, it's a high school party and they were worried that law enforcement was there to break it up. Nobody wanted to be over there to get caught up in that dragnet. There was a gas station clerk who reported seeing Tammy. Um, and having a conversation with her sometime between 12.30 and 1. So that's a lot of the timeline that we could fill in. Now, again, obviously Eric's story doesn't match what forensic science and other witnesses stated what really happened. And this would cause Eric to later change his story to better fit with the timeline. Further connecting Eric to this homicide was fiber evidence. The trunk of Eric's car contained Tammy's hair. Not shocking for a boyfriend to have his girlfriend's car in the hair, of course. Now, the police had the theory that Tammy was killed in, location, in one location and then driven and dumped in the ravine, which meant she probably would have been put in a car trunk. And so the hair being there matches a little bit. Again, that's nothing in and of itself that anybody should get excited about, but it helps support the theory. But there's more. On Tammy's clothing, investigators found synthetic fibers that matched the floor mat inside of Eric's truck. Okay? There's also several pieces of red plastic, and this wasn't further explained beyond that, but several pieces of red plastic were attached to Tammy's clothing 
And this same red plastic was also found inside Eric's trunk. Now, Eric's explanation for all this is that a few days before, they had shared a beach blanket, and he had stored the blanket in the trunk, which would have necessarily left some of her evidence behind and possibly brought evidence to her. When his vehicle was impounded, after they learned all of this, Eric, there was apparently testimony in court from one of Eric's friends who said that Eric, the friend asked Eric if he was worried about the car being impounded, and Eric said, no, I cleaned it pretty good. Now, during the trial, the prosecution called a fellow by the name of Tyler Mahoney as a witness. Now, while Tyler didn't see anything incriminating directly, he did have an interesting story to tell. On the night of the party, Tyler, being the mature young man he was, decided to play a little prank and rolled down, or I think Eric's car had the windows rolled down, or Tyler either rolled down the windows himself and then decided to urinate all through the window into Eric's car. Tyler said he pulled this awesomely hilarious prank at 11.35, well after Eric claimed to have left the party. Also, Tyler said he saw Eric washing his car pretty vigorously the next day, and Tyler had a good chuckle because he assumed he was responsible for the mess he had made. When Eric discussed cleaning his car to the police, interestingly, I think I've said that a lot, interestingly, I'm not going to stop. Interestingly, Eric never mentioned urine being in the car. Now, I would think, I don't like to impose my own thoughts, how I would react in a situation on top of somebody who's facing police questioning, but uh, that seems noteworthy to me. I think I would bring that up. Why were you washing your car? Well, some jerk peed in it. And that's a pretty good reason for washing your car. Eric also apparently made an admission in this case. A fellow by the name of Josh Fry worked in the restaurant that Eric's family owned. After the party, uh, and the same night that Tammy disappeared, so I assume pretty late after the party, Eric went by the restaurant and talked to Josh, and in the middle of their conversation, Eric kind of suggested that he may have done something bad. Well, I think his exact words were, quote, I think I killed a girl. Another employee, Jason Adamson, was apparently made aware of the statement, and when he heard he was an employee at the restaurant as well, he just grabbed Eric and said, we're getting out of here. When asked by another friend if he knew where Tammy was before her body was found, Eric ignored the question, refused to answer it. Also, after his trial in Nebraska, where he was found not guilty, Eric immediately hightailed it over to Minnesota and settled down, got married, started a life there. However, when Tammy's case kind of got popular on Facebook and social media, Eric's wife purportedly found out, and when she confronted him, he admitted to killing Tammy to her. The wife called the police, and passed this information along. Then she immediately filed for divorce and 
got him out of her life as quickly as she could. Another source disclosed that law enforcement found a book in Eric's room where he had laid out how he planned to kill Tammy. Tammy was also very worried about Eric and thought he was up to something. She had told several of her close friends, not one, not two, but several, that she was worried that that Eric was becoming kind of out of control and that he might be capable of murdering her. In our previous episode, we mentioned that Tammy's grave had been the subject of vandalism multiple times. Apparently, it happened again in May of 2020. Her grave was vandalized again. And this was the day after some of Tammy's family came back to Yankton for a funeral service for a family friend. Though there's no concrete proof, these vandalisms seem to occur coincidentally, whenever Eric is in the area. And yes, before you ask, Eric was at the May 2020 funeral. Finally, just a few weeks ago, the FBI and the Yankton police announced a reward of $15,000 for anyone who can provide information regarding Tammy's death. These two agencies confirmed that they were still speaking to people with knowledge of the case and still chasing down some leads. All right, so these new facts do kind of change things in my mind significantly. Um, So let me begin by thanking those anonymous parties that reached out to me to fill in the several holes in my research. And listeners, please, anytime you know something I don't, share it with me. Um, You know, I, (laughs) I don't do this for a living. I don't get paid to do it. And so it's natural that because I have a limited amount of time I can dedicate to this I'm going to miss stuff. And I apologize for that. I hate doing it. But I will be happy to do an update anytime I get some compelling evidence like this. So don't ever be bashful. Naturally, right off the bat, I'm going to admit I'm 100% wrong when I said the police didn't find any useful evidence. Based on what I've been provided, there was a fair amount of evidence collected in this case. And I think we can all see exactly why Eric was identified as the prime suspect. In fact, with the evidence I've been provided, it's hard to see any suspect other than Eric. With this new evidence, I'm not seeing a lot for a motive, however. This was a murder that was clearly based in rage, and there was regret that followed. You don't bludgeon someone this brutally unless you've been triggered emotionally, which of course makes the significant other an immediate suspect. It appears most witnesses agreed that Eric and Tammy had some sort of fight at the party. Could this fight have continued into the parking area? Could Eric have lost control of his emotions and snapped, beating Tammy pretty savagely? And then could Eric have panicked and kind of tried to dump the body across the river? You know, these, these were still kids. They were teenagers. And teenagers don't make good decisions just in day-to-day life, much less under pressure like this. So I, I do think this scenario is possible based on the evidence we have. The motive, you know, a, a teenage fight, I mean, unless it just got really nasty, which it very well could have, a teenage fight 
you get your feelings hurt, you break up, and you move on with your life. And then a few weeks later, you call each other and say how sorry you are and all that mess. So it's odd to me that Eric would get triggered to this degree. But he may have some sort of emotional issues or maturity issues that we're not aware of. I'm still at a loss as to exactly how Tammy's neck was broken. I'm appreciative to know that we have a report on describing the broken neck in more detail um, because I was thinking this was some sort of twisting motion um, or something along those lines, and it clearly wasn't. This was a, a significant hit to the back of the head. Um, you know, it, I'm guessing... From the way it's described, you know, the medical examiner said, you know, she got gut punched to such a degree that tore intestinal lining that would have incapacitated anyone. So I imagine her falling to her knees, um, clutching her belly in pain, and then something heavy being used to forcibly crush the back of her neck. A heavy rock, a baseball bat, something like that. And that would account for the trauma in my mind. That's a lot of force you have to exert. I, I, I don't want to minimize that idea. I mean, it's still a heck of an impact, right? But this gives us at least more of an idea on how it happened. And I feel better knowing that it wasn't snapped, that it was crushed. I think that's easier to explain than a snapping. At least from my research. I don't pretend to be a doctor. Well, I do pretend to be a doctor a lot, but not on this show. Well, not often on this show. At least right now, I'm not pretending to be a doctor. How's that? Can we do that? Can we say that? Are y'all comfortable with that? Okay, now despite all of this, I'm still stuck on this manslaughter charge thing. Holy cow, why on earth would you charge this man with manslaughter? Based on all the evidence we now have, why on earth would you not think this was murder? Why? Why? Manslaughter is reserved for an inadvertent but reckless killing, meaning you did something stupid and somebody ended up dead. Here we have evidence that Eric was planning the murder. Okay? Well, there's apparently a book where he tries to plan it. Tammy was worried he was capable of doing it. Then after the fact, someone, presumably Eric, tried to make it look like a rape. Tammy had already been threatened multiple times and he apparently confessed to his, at least other people of the murder. Now, I know what you're saying. Hearsay, right? No, you can't use an out-of-state court. You can't use an out-of-court statement in court. It's hearsay, so why are we harping on that? Well, okay, hearsay means you can't use an out-of-court statement to prove the truth of the matter asserted. That's the legal way of saying it. In other words, the way I was taught it is, say you've got, you're challenging whether or not somebody was of right mind when they made a will, okay? And so if you've got somebody that comes up on the stand during this will contest who said, look, I knew the fellow we drank every night and towards the end, he was saying, I'm Abraham Lincoln. That's not hearsay because you're not offering it 
to prove the truth of the matter asserted. You're not offering it to prove that he really was Abraham Lincoln. You're offering it to show his mental condition. So what the information passed along was wasn't relevant. It was the, what he was willing to say, if that makes any sense. I hope I explained that well. Hearsay is also just full of exceptions. And one of the exceptions is if you make a statement against your own interest. So here we have Eric telling somebody, I think I killed a girl. That is fair game to come in. As soon as Eric denies killing the girl, you get to bring that in, not only under the theory of it's against his interests because he's charged with homicide, but it's also to impeach any testimony he may or may not have given. Never understood whether or not he took the stand. But if he did and he said, I didn't kill Tammy, then the prosecution could bring in any witness who said, well, he told me he did. So that's probably how a lot of this testimonial evidence about Eric confessing got into the trial. Which again, I mean, my, the point I'm rallying on is why was he not charged with murder? Um, I got a little sidetracked there. I apologize. It needs to be mentioned about the judge in this case. I knew this when I went through the information the first time, but I didn't really see it as being relevant when I did the first episode because so much of my questions revolved around the manner of death and why the case was prosecuted. But apparently this judge in Nebraska was not a good judge. Uh, I don't mean he was necessarily an evil person. I mean he just... He rose to the level of his incompetence. Um, he was voted by the Nebraska State Bar as the worst judge in the entire state. He apparently, after being forced off the bench, he was either threatened with some sort of uh, recusal or um, uh, you know, a new opponent when he ran again or something worse. He just decided to step down. And apparently, I couldn't confirm this independently, but apparently not long after he stepped down from the bench, he started practicing law and was dumb enough that he got disbarred. He lost his law license. Um, to me, that is a factor. But as a trial attorney, whether you're the prosecutor or whether you're the defendant, defense counsel, that's just a hoop you got to jump through. It's just something you have to deal with. I've been in front of judges who were pure politicians, knew nothing about the law, and it's so frustrating when you make an objection to evidence and you can just see them have that deer in headlights look because they have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but that's apparently what we had here. I'm just going to mention it because my sources felt like it was very, very important to mention that point. I'm still also sitting in the chair of, why didn't South Dakota prosecute Eric? Nebraska has all this evidence. It sounds like the murder took place in South Dakota. Most jurisdictions do not have a statute of limitations for intentional murder. So what's the deal, Lower Dakota? Do do you know something we don't? Because if you do, you should share it. You should put it out in the public. You should not be allowing the local police force to team with the FBI to offer reward. And we have a situation here where the feds could become involved. You normally, you know, the FBI, 
doesn't investigate crimes unless they cross state borders. And here we certainly have one that does. I mean, that was a big issue in this case. So the feds could bring criminal charges if they wanted. It's rare for them to prosecute a homicide, but this would be one that they could. So I'm, they're obviously still working on the case and they're not satisfied with the evidence they've got. If you'll remember in the last episode, I mentioned how the trial transcript has kind of been lost to time from the court reporter. Now there's going to be people who have the trial transcript in hard copy form. Probably um, Eric's defense attorneys, probably some of the prosecutors. The problem is you can't use a transcript unless it's certified by the court reporter that it was legitimate. And I, you know, a lot of times when we would order a transcript that was just for our own personal use, we wouldn't ask the court reporter to go through that. It's not a big deal. It's just, at least in Alabama, it's not a big deal. It's just an extra sheet of paper they have to fill out and sign in front of an odor, you know, all that mess. Um, but it's, you know, a lot of times you just say, just get it to us when you can as quick as possible. We don't need you to certify it. Maybe that's what happened here. I don't know. Okay. Well, that was kind of a speed run through the materials I was provided. Um, I really hope this episode doesn't sound as disjointed as it felt like when I was trying to put it together. Uh, again, I, I'll say it again. Thank you to the confidential sources for the new information. It very much flushes out the story of what Tammy went through. And it does leave one inclined to consider Eric the primary suspect. Also still leaves us questioning the prosecutors, like I mentioned. I don't know what they were doing in Nebraska by charging this boy with manslaughter. I don't know why South Carolina has stayed out of the prosecution game, but I feel like there's more here. I feel like there should be more aggressive police work and prosecution work. Nebraska shot their shot, so they're out of it. We've got to rely on either South Dakota or the feds, the U.S. Attorney's Office, to bring a charge here. That's going to wrap up our episode. Um, I know it's nothing new, but it is. <laughs> uh, I, I felt it was important to clear this up. I appreciate, you know, the fact that I got the information and I could pass it on to y'all in a way that um, that tells the story better because I do want y'all to be aware of what's going on in these sorts of cases. And I don't want, when I cover a case that's unsolved, I know a lot of people get frustrated with unsolved cases. I like covering them because I want to keep the case alive. You know, even as a former criminal defense attorney, I still believe in justice and I, I think people should pay for their crimes and I don't want a case just to fall through the cracks and disappear, and not see the light of day. So that's why I do it to anyone. I upset by bringing an incomplete case. The last time I apologize, but I hope this makes this right in your mind. All right. Uh, rambling again. So we're going to get on to the palate cleanser. Okay. I picked another bad one. What do you call a hippie's wife? What would you call the wife of a hippie? You would call her Mrs. Hippie. Mrs. Hippie. Yeah, like the state, right? Okay, I know you're smiling at how bad it was. Don't pretend like you rolled your eyes. You liked it. 
I know it. I know you people. Okay, we're done. Um, again, please accept this episode as proof of my humility. It does exist. Um, I'll also admit, you know, this was an exhausting case to work through. It's sad and it's frustrating and I hated not being able to find a lot of information on my own. And it left me feeling pretty drained. I think I got a little too invested in it, you know. So I hope it came across as more enjoyable than exhausting for y'all. Um, but anyway, y'all be good. If I'm allowed, I'll just keep going over and over the same thing. <laughs> um, know here that all of us at KMH love you. We're happy to have you in our listener family. You can't ever leave us, though. That's the bad thing. We get kind of clingy and we don't want relationships to end. So in exchange for being a listener, I'm going to ask that you have a nice dessert this evening. You deserve it. You've been working hard. It's been stressful. It's another week. You've been at work for a couple days already. Just just eat something fun, okay? Okay. I, I'm going to go find my dessert now. And I'm going to leave it with y'all. Right out. Thank you for listening to Kellen Missing Hidden. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share. Questions? Email us at info at kmhpodcast.com.